0: Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove and today I'd like to talk about the experimenter effect it's well known in the behavioral sciences and in medicine that researchers have the ability to influence the subjects in, in their studies. Uh, and they can do it in simple ways, you know, through nonverbal communication, a smile, a gesture, a hint, a different language here and there. And that's one of the main reasons why, in uh, the behavioral sciences, certainly in medical, testing for drugs and other things. We use control groups and we use the double-blind, so that if you have a control group and an experimental test group, neither the subjects nor the researchers have any idea who is in which group. It's chosen by a random selection process and uh the uh, participants are uh, protected from having any information about that and that seemed like a pretty good control for most scientific research and uh the double bind w- blind the double blind was considered like the gold standard for decades uh, some people go a little further they use a triple blind which means that uh, even uh participants uh like research assistants and uh, other other people who are peripherally connected to the research don't know anything about it. but then, in recent years, there's been some blowback that the double blind is not sufficient to protect against what are called questionable research practices, QRPs. Uh, For example, and there are many of them, but uh, uh, one example which I think uh, will make the point is called optional stopping. If I'm running an experiment, I'm hoping for a certain result, and most researchers do, after all, have what you could call their cherished hypotheses. If the experiment is progressing and the results look good, well, why not just stop right then and there, uh, rather than complete a set number of experimental trials? And uh, Sometimes experimenters have been basically caught doing that. They don't specify in advance how many trials they're going to run. So, when the experiment stops, they just say this is the number of trials we had and the statistics are such and such. And, uh, but by optionally choosing when the experiment will stop, that actually uh, invalidates, uh, many of the statistics that are used. So. A lot of research is being called into question now because of that. Not just in the behavioral and social sciences, and in the medical and biological sciences, but uh, even I think to to a some degree in uh, in physics, the uh, question of optional stopping is is still uh, a real issue across the board. And as a result of that. People in academia, people in science are calling into question many long-standing findings that have been well accepted, and they're beginning to wonder, how good is the replication rate on these findings? And, and What do you make of replications that are not precise, exact replications, but are what we call conceptual replications? Can Can they be trusted, or is the concept being tested actually a different concept? So, I think it's fair to say that, especially in the behavioral sciences, but all across the scientific community, uh, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of questioning about how good has the science that has been reported over the decades actually been. How much do we have to actually start over and redo all of science? And of course, that fits into the cultural mood these days where all sorts of authorities are being questioned. We never know whether our politicians are being truthful to us. And now people are questioning the media. So where does it end? Can you question, can, can you trust science at all? It's a big issue with regard to such things as global warming. Now, parapsychology, though, introduces a whole additional level at which the experimenter effect may occur, because What? If we assume, as parapsychologists tend to assume, that extrasensory perception and psychokinesis are real, how can we rule out an experimenter using their own precognition, clairvoyance, telepathy, and psychokinesis to influence the experiment they're running in order to favor their cherished hypothesis? The truth is, we don't know any way to protect against this. That is a very profound Realization. and It's one, I have to say, that frightens people in the behavioral sciences and social sciences. That's why I think this group of people is the most hostile of any group of academics to the field of parapsychology, because obviously, if psychic phenomena are real, as parapsychologists, uh, I don't even want to say parapsychologists claim this, I want to say it this way, as the data of parapsychology it would lead us to believe, then is there any reason to rule out the possibility that conventional social science, behavioral science researchers are influencing their own studies, not only through questionable research practices, not only by subtle verbal cues, but through psi. That really will, uh, like, be throwing a monkey wrench into the scientific establishment, particularly, as I have said now over and over again, behavioral and social sciences, or cognitive sciences, as they are now called. But, I'm really referring to psychology in all of its many forms and branches. So, how do you get around the experimenter effect in parapsychology? I have an answer. To that. And it's very simple. The experimenter effect, the whole notion of a cherished hypothesis becomes particularly important when we're talking about process oriented research. In other words, we want to know how something works, how, for example, clairvoyance, precognition works. We like to look at personality variables. I've already reported about the sheep goat effect for example as an important personality variable in parapsychology and also <laughs> in other fields as as well so a lot of research in parapsychology is process oriented research and normally we say this well uh if a particular researcher has a cherished hypothesis and uses his, let us say, psychokinesis in order to, uh, influence the experiment and get the result that favors his cherished hypothesis, even though the process may have nothing to do with the process of the hypothesis at all. It's experimenter psi. If, if that's the case, then certain kinds of studies are immune from that, ones that don't have process-oriented hypotheses. If I simply want to prove that ESP exists, that under a certain set of conditions I can run an experiment and uh, make sure that there's no possibility of sensory leakage, no possibility of cheating of any sort, and I get a statistically significant result, at least one can say that I have established The existence of a scientific anomaly. And I'll take it one step further. If I'm looking at the strength of the phenomena, that can be measured. And it doesn't matter what the source of the phenomenon was or the process of the phenomenon was, as long as we rule out non paranormal (laughs) sources. And then we can look at the magnitude of the phenomena. I think that's very important, especially for applied research and uh, however, in other fields of science, that's not necessarily the case and so anthropology, sociology, economics, business research, uh, all of those fields of science are vulnerable to the accusation, if parapsychology were to become widely accepted, that their findings might be the result of psi, not the hypotheses that they were actually testing. Now, as I was starting to say earlier, if a researcher uh does get a significant result and uh people wonder uh, did they do it through Psy, well the the way in which parapsychologists today deal with that is by if they want to do process oriented research is to say well let's see how well it replicates how many different laboratories come up with the same finding And One assumes that if many of your colleagues are able to replicate the finding, then it's probably because of the hypothesis you're testing, and not because of surreptitious psi influencing your data. But, what if there's a widespread cultural bias in favor of your hypothesis so that Every laboratory running that test has the same emotional bias you do. Maybe the sheep-goat. Maybe it's the case that all of the parapsychologists testing the sheep-goat effect really held in their hearts a belief that uh, that belief system, that the belief that you can or that you cannot score well in an ESP test will affect the test. And so, using psychokinesis, they surreptitiously, even unconsciously unbeknownst to themselves, influenced their study to get that result. If we look at that seriously, it would tend to make us call into question all process oriented research not only in parapsychology but in all other fields as well, and that would be. Uh, result in such a shakeup of the scientific community that it's understandable to a degree why so many people in academia, particularly in the sciences, are uh, hostile or indifferent to the field of parapsychology. Why is it that we have 135 plus years of rigorous research that is almost entirely ignored by the larger community? So, I hope that this discussion has been edifying for you, but you might ask yourself, what what does it mean for you? How is the experimenter effect in conventional science and in parapsychology going to make any difference whatsoever in your life? And You might start by asking yourself, this what are the kind of research findings that you hold and uh, accept without question for example the the finding that taking a baby aspirin every day can help reduce heart disease and heart attacks it's a statistical finding a process oriented uh, finding uh, and there are thousands of such research findings thousands of them published every year Do you accept these findings? Do you think that you should call them into question? And What about the issue of magnitude in parapsychology? What are the outer limits of psychic functioning and why aren't parapsychologists paying more attention to that sort of research? Wouldn't we benefit more by understanding how much magnitude it is Po- possible to generate in a research context or even in a field setting. And I'll leave you with those thoughts. Thank you for being with me.